On this episode of the Star Wars Time Show, we'll be talking new Hot Toys reveals for The Rise of Skywalker. Speaking of The Rise of Skywalker, we've got all sorts of new insights into the film, thanks to a few magazine spreads and a new trailer, so we'll be getting into all that fun stuff. Of course, we'll also be talking a little Jedi Fallen Order, what we like, what we don't like, and then moving on to The Mandalorian to discuss S1E2, in particular our top moments, and some speculations on the Yoda baby. What is it? Who is he? Where did he come from? Cloning this, cloning that, you never know. And then we'll be wrapping with the top five Star Wars fan artist features of the week. Cue the music. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Star Wars Time Show, and I've got some bad news for those of you that have been in the know and you you were thinking you were going to get someone here, a new co-host to join me as Nick is out gallivanting around the galaxy, down at Batuu, checking out Galaxy's Edge. I was supposed to have Sir Dork himself, that's right, Sir Dork 730 here, Jared Middleton, and I did, and we had a fantastic damn near two-hour conversation about those topics you just heard from our lovely announcer. But unfortunately, he got tech screwed, and when we were saving his audio stem, it crapped out, corrupted the file, and we lost the whole damn show. Well, at least his side of the show, my audio was alright, but we couldn't salvage it, so now we're here. Yes, I'm doing a solo, primetime version of the Star Wars Time Show. Boo! Hiss! Yuck! Sorry to disappoint you people, but... Like I told Jared, he felt awful. I mean, he's ready to, to, to punch himself out, do whatever he could to make up for the, the tech stumble. But in the end, shit happens, right? So we're going to move on. I'm going to press on by myself to work through all these topics and hopefully try to recapture some of the conversation Jared and I had last night. Maybe I'll even channel Jared and give some of the answers that he was providing to the topics we're riffing on. So let, let's get right into it, my friends. Uh, obviously, this isn't going to be as long long as the conversation Jared and I had, which is a bummer, but it is what it is. Maybe you're going to get a primetime version of the Star Wars time show that's actually less than two hours long. So let's go ahead and get into those topics, starting with the new Hot Toys reveal of a 1-6 scale Ray, as based on her appearance in The Rise of Skywalker, and I should add that this is also coming with a little Dio figure. Aw, Dio, you're so cute. Uh, but anyways, we got this Hot Toys Ray, and for the most part, she looks great. I mean, the body, the soft goods, the accessories are all spot on. But once again, just like the 1-6 scale Ray for TLJ, there's something off about her face, uh, in particular when you look at it straight on. From the side, the side profile definitely feels a little bit like Daisy, but this one looking on, as Jared mentioned last night, he heard someone say that she kind of looks like a Hillary Swank, and I, I get that. I definitely get that. It just... I mean, it's a beautiful-looking figure, don't get me wrong. It's a very appealing-looking figure, but in terms of Daisy Ridley's face... It just, it, it, something's missing. Something is missing from this Rise of Skywalker 1-6 scale Ray. 
very much so like the TLJ figure, which I own. I mean, I'll probably buy this one too because I, I do think it is a rather beautiful figure. It just doesn't quite look like Daisy Ridley. Uh, what really gets me though is is the soft goods. I mean, I love her new tunic, if we can call it that. Uh, the leather gun strap, the leather stuff on her biceps. She's also going to be coming with a, a, it looks like a, a training helmet, kind of like Luke had, but a newer version, as well as a training remote. Bunch of hands, her staff, a gat, all that fun type of stuff. So we don't know exactly when she's releasing. I believe it's going to be 2021. We actually got these details from our homies over at the Exclude Collective. So check out excludecollective.com for deeper details into this 1-6 scale Hot Toys Ray. But based on some of the images, it looks like we're also going to be getting a 1-6 scale Kylo uh, this time with his new cloak that has a hood and his red jism sealed helmet. Uh, but uh, we haven't got glamour shots just for him yet. So in terms of pricing, I would anticipate this Ray clocking in at least $250. Uh, maybe more because Dio comes with her and he, he looks great. I mean, it's a full-on Dio to scale. Uh, so I'd say this this Ray's probably going to run you 250 to 275, and I'm just too damn lazy to go look at Sideshow to see if she's up yet. But uh, as I mentioned, should be a 2021-ish type of release, and um, pricing-wise, I'd say at least 250 if you are interested. Just know that it's more of a Hillary Swank-looking Ray, at least front-facing, forward-on, than Daisy Ridley. All right, so before I get into all this Rise of Skywalker stuff, and there's a ton of stuff out there, you can tell Lucasfilm and Disney, now that it has given birth to The Mandalorian, it, it switched its promotional machine focus to The Rise of Skywalker, because uh, this week alone, a bunch of new magazine spreads, we got a new 30-second trailer, it actually, more than half of it featured new scenes. Uh, but before we get there, I want to talk about another new Star Wars project that has been released into the world. Uh, last week during the the Mando birth, we also got the arrival of Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which I've been playing uh, not as much as I would like to. I'm not going to get any spoilers or anything, but I did want to give my first impressions since we don't really have anything up on the site yet or haven't done any videos or a podcast talking about how we like, and I guess at this point, since it's just me, I'm talking about that proverbial mouse in my pocket, but how we liked uh, Jedi Fallen Order so far. So I'm only around chapter three-ish. Uh, in terms of story, just to give you an idea, it's it's soon after you learn the true identity of the second sister. Now, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, I was actually kind of let down by the reveal. It, it's teased very early on, you can kind of guess who this person's going to be, but that's neither here nor there. In terms of the game and just what I love about Fallen Order, I mean, <clears throat> I, I've been fascinated by how well done the exploration is. I mean, it's, it definitely has an uncharted feel. I love the Metroidvania aspect of this game's exploration where, you know, you, you can pretty much go wherever you want. You can fly to whatever planet you want to, and you can explore, but you will hit areas that you cannot progress past because you're either lacking an upgrade, uh, a new ability, a new tool for BD1, something like that. So 
I've just been loving exploring the world of Fallen Order. It's just, it's such a rich looking world. Uh, the the the, gra- the graffiti they have in some of the locations, just some of the junk scattered throughout the environments, just really makes it feel Star Wars authentic and encourages exploration to find you know secret chests, other types of pickups. You know, I just randomly went to Dathomir right after the first mission and stumbled upon a double-bladed lightsaber. And I guess I got that earlier than most people would. So I love the explorative aspect of Fallen Order, although I do kind of have an OCD issue with it. I don't know any any of you others. Jared kind of agreed with me on this one. Kinded. Nice word there, Matt. Kinded. How about kind of? Agreed with me on this, but my my video game exploration OCD, is it goes like this. Essentially, if I come to a fork in the road while exploring, I feel the need to go down every damn path just to make sure I'm not missing anything before I move on to the path that's going to take me to the ultimate objective. So uh, with this game, it's caused a lot of uh, head scratching, a lot of internal mental fights like, no, go that way. Yes, go that way. Well, if you go that way, back up a little bit and then go that way so you just in case you don't miss anything. And there have been times where I've gone a little too far down one path and it's got me on, if you've played the game, one of those kind of automatic sliding segments or sliding down ice or grass. And then you're like, shit, now i got to backtrack all the way back to where I was to check out the other two paths to figure out where they go. Because you never know, maybe I'll find another lightsaber part, uh, another pickup for BD1. So I- I'm addicted to the exploring. Uh, speaking of BD1... I also love him. Uh, I mean, Disney's been killing it with the new droids, if you will, for Star Wars. It started with BB-8 and TFA. Then we got K-2 and Rogue One, Leet and Solo. Uh, we're soon to meet Dio and Rise of Skywalker. Now we got BD-1 in Fallen Order. And, and he's a little boss. I mean, I, I love this droid. I love his personality. Uh, I love how he almost acts like a, he's kind of like a little monkey, even or parrot riding on Cal's back. Uh, but he's just got a very Star Wars correct droid personality. Uh, he feels alive. He feels real. So he's he's achieved uh, the same level of awesome as his predecessors, R two, three PO, BB eight, so on and so forth. So. I've really been enjoying BD-1, loving the explorative aspect of Fallen Order. Uh, obviously, the, the story's pretty engaging. I mean, I love the time period. We're five years after Order 66, and we're dealing with a Padawan that survived the Purge. So uh, there's some interesting stuff going on in there for sure, but don't want to get into those details. Uh, in terms of stuff that's rubbed me the wrong way, uh, the game, at least now on Xbox One X, is a little buggy, uh, specifically in loading sections. Um, in particular, the sections where you do are where you are sliding. You know, you can't really control it. You're you're sliding down ice or whatever. Where I've actually hit parts of the game where I'll hit one of those segments and the entire just level disappears. It's invisible. I can see Cal. He freezes up. I can hear everything. I can hear him sliding, but I can't see a damn thing. And then the game eventually just wakes up, and here I am sliding and usually falling down a hole. 
Um, I, I've also walked into areas that have tried to load and nothing really loads. So it looks like stormtroopers or scout troopers are floating in midair as if they are Star Wars Jesuses all of a sudden. Uh, so there have been some tech issues. I, I, I'm also, I'm not going to lie, and, and this probably isn't going to be a popular opinion, especially with you hardcore gamer bros, but I, I'm not a fan of the combat system at all. It is as Soulsborne light as it gets, and I, the only reason I say light is because at least in Fallen Order, you can change the difficulty all the way down to a story mode, which yes, that's what I'm playing. Come at me, bro. I don't care. Call me weak, a loser, a wuss. It doesn't matter to me because I do not like the Soulsborne combat mechanic. I don't like the slow, methodical pace of Cal Strikes and how you have to worry about parrying and then countering and then dodging and countering and striking at precise moments. I mean, the, the whole precision-based combat just doesn't sit well with me. I don't like that challenge. I mean, I, I feel like I'm fighting the AI. It, it feels like Cal's lightsaber weighs 10 tons. So you make a swing, he's like, Ugh. you make another swing, he's like, Ugh. where, you know, I would have preferred combat that was closer to what we got in Force Unleashed, maybe not as chaotic, but more button mashing combo based type of attacks to where you could just kick the shit out of people. Uh, because honestly, even on story mode, this game, even the most basic of characters can give you a little bit of headache. And uh, I mean, the, the good example of that is when I did go to Dathomir right away after the first mission. I mean, there's a planet you have a clear objective to go to, but the game you can explore, which I love. So I went right to Dathomir, and some Night Brothers popped up, just common dudes. I mean, not bosses or anything. And they were kicking the shit out of me. I mean, it was like, yo, BD, give me a stim pack. Stim me up, buddy. I'm fighting these bozos on Super Moron Easy, and they're still kicking my ass. And it's not a, a fact of I suck at gaming. I mean, some of you can probably say that and believe it. That's good for you. I don't. I just do not like how this combat is scripted out. It just it feels clunky to me. It, it's too precise. And at times, especially in large crowds of enemies, it just turns into a clusterfuck. So do not like the Soulsborne combat in Fallen Order at all. So I'm glad there's at least a story mode, but I mean, that kind of cheapens some of the challenge. Uh, the boss battles are definitely, they lose some of their gravitas, if you will. Um, that's kind of weak. Uh, it's something else I thought's odd in Fallen Order, and I get why they did it, but it's stupid. It's the fact that you can slice pretty much anything in this game. Just slice it in half with your lightsaber and leave a great-looking ember trail to solder it shut. I mean, I'm talking pipes, air vents, electrical conduits, even animals and beasts. You can slice their body parts off. But when it comes to humanoid characters, you, you can't do anything to them but hit them. I mean, it's like your your lightsaber goes dull all of a sudden when you're fighting people that have two arms and two legs. And so I'm talking any stormtrooper unit, anything like that. If you slice at them, for some reason, it won't cut their arms off. It doesn't cut their head off like or even split them in half, which we see with the beast type of enemies or alien type of enemies in Fallen Order. So it's just it's an odd visual 
and I uh, I hope to share a funny YouTube parody. Someone parried this exact concept uh, with some pretty great VFX. So be be on the lookout for that. Not sure if I'll get that out today as this cast goes live or on Friday or over the weekend, but it perfectly illustrates how wonky it is that you can cut anything apart in Fallen Order except humanoid characters. So that was kind of a bummer. And I'm also, in terms of Cal himself, he's he's pretty vanilla, and I'm not just talking about the color of his skin. I mean, yeah, he's got that awesome red hair, but... I don't know. He just seems like your standard generic Star Wars lead. He doesn't even feel like an alpha male. So, uh, I mean, I'll probably get beat up for this from the people that hate new Disney or inclusive Disney. But I would have liked a a different type of character. You know, give me a, a black guy, black girl, Asian guy, Asian girl, something like that. Uh, just to, to kind of change up the, the color palette, give us something new as a lead in a standalone Star Wars story-driven game. I love Cameron Monaghan. I mean, what the, what the dude did in Gotham is magic. Uh, and he's not bad in this. He just, I don't know, the, the, the character of Cal just seems, at least where I'm at in the story, he's just kind of milk toast, if you will. I mean, nothing really stands out about him outside of his red hair and the awesome bot that sits on his back. So this isn't me being some ultra-lib. Not really into that stuff either, but it just, I don't know, it, it felt kind of generic, and uh, if you follow, Kay, I think it was Katie Sackoff on social media made a good point that Fallen Order and Mandalorian getting amazing buzz, amazing reaction. People aren't trying to stab each other's eyes out while talking about them. There's also a funny meme that shows... You know, people talking about The Last Jedi, and it's essentially a prison brawl, and then people talking about The Mandalorian, and they're all sitting around essentially doing the humana, humana meditation poses. But anyways, back to Katie, she essentially said, you know, it, it's kind of curious that there's so much positivity around Fallen Order and Mandalorian because, you know, the, they have traditional action type of male leads where a lot of the negative negativity around Disney Star Wars has been because of the inclusiveness of the female characters, this, that, and the other thing. So, yeah, it's just a uh, interesting commentary from uh, Miss Sackoff there. I like her. I think she's cool. So take it for what it is. But in terms of Fallen Order, is it a great game? It, you know, you may be sitting here like, does this guy even like Star Wars? He kind of sounds like an asswipe, but I love it. I mean, I love Fallen Order. Don't get me wrong. It, it's it's scratching that itch that Nick and I had talked about leading up to its release in terms of giving us a single-player-only, story-driven Star Wars game. I mean, it checks that off 100%. I'm just disappointed that the combat leans a little too hard into this precision-based Soulsborne type of setup. It's just not for me, all right? That's my opinion. Leave me alone. If you want to call me a loser, have at it. It's not going to bother me. All right, so uh, moving on into some of the new Rise of Skywalker insights. Like I said, I mean, the Disney promo machine, Lucasfilm promo machine, has fully shifted its laser focus onto the Rise of Skywalker at this point. We're less than a month away. Hopefully you've got your tickets. I'll be there Thursday night on the 19th and then coming back right away on uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, excuse me. I know. We're professional over here. And remember, we is the mouse in my pocket or this little Darth Maul figure I've got sitting next to me. 
but anyways, hopefully you got your tickets, and yes, you should be seeing it more than once opening weekend. I try to see it at least in every uh, the- or screen version that AMC offers. So my first is going to be on Dolby Cinema from AMC. That, in my opinion, is the best uh, theater-going experience at this point in time because you have those super bright, vivid screens and then the booming Dolby Atmos sound system. Also be seeing it on IMAX, and then I hope to catch a kind of just a digital 3D to see what that looks like. So that's my opening weekend plans for Rise of Skywalker. But in terms of the new insights, uh, there's a spread done in, in Total Film where we got some interesting insights from JJ plus his cast. And speaking with J.J. a little bit, he, he said he took inspiration from Ryan Johnson, I know, everyone's favorite Star Wars director, to go for it a bit more and not uh, be as safe in his choice making. And I, I applaud him for that. Uh, you know, what Ryan did in TLJ, as much as some of you may hate it, it was done for a reason. I mean, uh, the Disney Lucasfilm, they don't want to make any more Skywalker projects, so... We got to kind of distance ourselves from them. That's why we, we set up the fact that potentially, hopefully it sticks this way, that you could have a character like Rey, who's super powered in the Force, who didn't have to be tied to the Skywalker family genes and get their midichlorians and be super uh, Force users. So it's good to hear JJ talking about that, trying to maybe trying some new things, getting a little more daring in Nine. I mean, we've heard similar things in other spreads where it sounds like he, he's been a little bit more daring in this production. Uh, we also got an interesting comment from Naomi Aki, who's playing Janna in the film. Uh, she said that throughout the movie, each character comes in contact with the dark side in, in new ways. So it's interesting to think about if you parse it out. I mean, what, what could that mean? Are we talking they physically come in contact with the dark side, say like a a Luke Cave scene or a Ray butthole scene from TLJ, where they're in this very uh, dark side thick environment and it just permeates through the environment and kind of gets into their head and makes them see wonky things. Or will they be doing something dark side-ish? Will, will it be poisoning their mind in another way? Or just will they actually come into contact with dark side characters? So, I mean, you could take it multiple ways with Naomi saying here. But I, I thought it was interesting. And uh, when Jared and I were talking about it on the original version of this podcast episode, uh, we were wondering, you know, could it be maybe the once all the heroes get to the planet where the fallen Death Star's at, you know, maybe there's a lot of dark side energy revolving around that location and it, it could start messing with our heroes and they may start doing stupid shit. You never know. Uh, but uh, interesting comment, to say the least. Uh, we also got a comment from Kelly Marie Tran. That's Rose. I love Rose. Back off, motherfuckers. Uh, but she said, people are going to find it really interesting how we, as in Finn and Rose, have evolved. So I don't know what that what that means. Maybe they had their, their one-night booty call, one-night stand. Maybe they have a kid. Uh, or maybe they're romantically involved, even more so than what could have happened at the end of TLJ. Uh, but it looks like the film is going to touch on the Finn and Rose relationship, no matter how much some of you may hate it. Uh, I did like Rose. I mean, I know some of you think she ruined Finn and TLJ. Um, Finn did not have the best 
uh, plot or narrative in that movie, but it, it was not Rose's fault. Rose is a fun character, and it looks like she's a going to be a whole different type of character in Tross, just based on some imagery we've seen. Uh, she looks like she's going to be much more than just a uh, mechanic. Uh, it looks like she's going to be kind of a more of a fighter, potentially a leader. So I'm glad Kelly's back and the trolls didn't scare her away. Uh, last thing from... Let's see, from this article, yeah, nothing much here. I mean, Daisy says that we're, we may finally get a, pay, a payoff on one of Maz's lines from TFA. In particular, the belonging you seek is not behind you. It is ahead. So, yeah, I, I, I think we are going to see Ray, at least Ray herself, still dealing with the fact that she doesn't know for sure where she comes from, who she truly is. I mean, I'm not saying she just thinks Kylo was lying, but she needs more closure than just some psycho dark side nut job who was trying to get her to come to her side telling her something. She, she kind of needs to see it for herself. So moving on, we also got a, a pretty impressive spread and interview set from Entertainment Weekly for The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, we got quotes from J.J., the cast, Anthony Daniel, C-3PO, so we'll, we'll kind of go over some of these, some of the more uh, important ones, I would say. Uh, from J.J. himself, I thought it was interesting that he brought up that at this point in time, they're still working on the film, I mean, it's not, the final cut hasn't been approved yet, but he feels they're in a better situation than when he was with TFA at this point in time. And this is due to the fact that they didn't require nearly as many reshoots in Tross as they did in TFA. So, you know, depending on where you lean with Disney Star Wars, you might have been reading some stories about, oh, Tross is a mess. They've been reshooting it uh, all fall because it sucks. The ending's a disaster. You know, the Mike Zeros of the world that put those stupid clickbaity bullshit titles out there in their videos. Uh, but if you believe J.J., you don't think he's just full of shit. He's telling us right now that Trost didn't require nearly as many reshoots as TFA, and he credits this to the fact that both he and his crew and his cast aren't noobs this time around. Uh, they know each other. They know how to work. They know how to get the best out of the actors, and the actors know how to give the uh, crew what they need. So... It's uh, even though it's a much larger and ambitious story, they actually got it shot much quicker than TFA. Uh, he also went on to say that even while the trailers have shown off some pretty insane stuff from the movie, I mean, let's think about it. We've seen Dark Ray already. We've seen Ray literally facing off with Palpatine. Uh, hell, they've introduced Palpatine via the trailers. We've seen some of the Sith fleet. And there's been some amazing moments, but J.J. said in this interview that, hey guys, you've seen a lot of surprising moments, but these trailers haven't even scratched the surface in terms of content from major action sequences. So, I mean, that, that kind of gets my nipples hard to think. What else have we not seen in terms of major action sequences? I mean, even this new 30-second spot I'm going to talk about, we got a pretty big action sequence that could shine some light on the plot. So uh, I like what J.J.'s saying here. I mean, uh, it, it seems like this movie should be pretty good, right? I'm hoping it is. I mean, it's got the potential if it's really going to close the loop on three trilogies plus this trilogy itself, plus also serve as a standalone movie. It, it should be pretty fantastic. Uh, we also got some choice quotes from our homies Oscar and John. 
Uh, they, I, Isaac made it clear that these two have been sent on a mission by General Leia early on to start rounding up some allies, but they're not finding any. Um, Oscar also went on to explain that due to the one-year time jump in between TLJ and Tross, the main characters on the good guy side, at least Ray, Poe, Finn, probably Chewie, the droids, they've become a, a pretty tight-knit group. They've gotten to know each other quite well, and they've actually done some training together. So Oscar explained that by the time Rise of Skywalker comes around, the, the trio on the good side at least, and probably Chewie and, and R2, the droids, uh, they become a legit strike team of sorts. So using the term strike team, uh, maybe we'll see them kind of go on some crazy mission together, do some wild stuff. Uh, we got some new stills from this Entertainment Weekly article, and one of them shows the the three of them and Chewie in some sort of a cave. And yes, if you've read the leaks, you probably know what that is, but I've read some of them, and I don't want to vomit them up on here anymore because I hate myself for reading them, and if I had some bleach sitting next to me, I would definitely be pouring it into my eyes and then directly into my mouth because I still hate myself for doing the leak thing and now knowing that a lot of it is true based on these trailers. But it sounds like Ray Poe Finn... They're going to be a pretty formidable unit uh, that the Resistance can send out to kind of get shit done. So I'm glad that we're going to be seeing them all together because we really haven't up until this point. Um, speaking of not seeing them together, uh, Oscar and John mentioned that they got their wishes for this film. Each wish a little different, but it, it still ends up being, hey, we just want to all be together, act together, have fun, kind of create this camaraderie. So uh, Poe, at least, will be spending much less time behind, you know, behind the yoke in a cockpit. He's going to be out there with the group getting shit done on the ground. Where Finn, as Boyega explained it, he, he's going to be portrayed as more of a capable soldier this time around and less of a comedic goofball, you know, the guy that makes us laugh with, with great lines. And like I said, I mean, Finn, I, I will agree, was a bit short-changed in TLJ, although the end segment where I thought that he was going to sacrifice himself, still one of the more impactful moments from that film. I may have cried in the theater while watching it. Uh, he had a great moment there, and that's kind of where you know Finn's character made some growth. But it sounds like we're going to see where that growth went in, in Tross, and I'm excited for that. Um, this is cool, too. I mean, John mentioned, you know, we're all together, we're hanging out. It's more of the, you know, uh, equivalent to Han, Luke, and Leia deal. So uh, apparently J.J. encouraged the leads to improvise some of their dialogue. And he did this to make the scenes and their bonds feel more natural. So I'm excited to hear that. I think that could uh, provide for some pretty awesome chemistry in this movie. Uh, make all the relationships just feel more genuine and legitimate. So uh, I, I'm, I'm super pleased to hear that, and, and I think the cast probably ran with that concept and just made the scenes and the dialogue between characters feel so much more natural that you will watch them and be like, yeah, they definitely have been hanging out together. They've been through some shit together. This is a tight family um, unit of characters. Uh, Isaac did, it, it seems like he was going to slip here because while talking, he, he slipped, he was about to slip on something about Ray and because he mentioned, he's like, yeah, Ray has something, but then he stops himself and then he says, oh, you know, yeah, Ray is driving her own thing. She's not doing what other people are telling her to do. So 
I mean, I, I don't know how you want to parse that. Ray has something. I mean, could he, would he, was he implying that Ray has her own ship now? Does she have her own X-Wing? Or does she have her own mission? Is it a secret mission? Is there something driving her outside of the main mission to protect the galaxy from the First Order? Uh, it could be maybe she has a secret mission, some leads to hunt down the true identity of her past and her parents. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It was just it was you could tell that Oscar was going down a a path he probably shouldn't have started to go down, and then he made that pivot to just, oh, yeah, hey, Ray is driving her own thing. You know what I mean? Nothing to see here, folks. Walk away. Oh, shit, please don't fire me. So I'm going with secret side mission, at least. Uh, we also got some insights from Ray on, on not from Ray, from Daisy, duh, about Ray. And apparently we should expect a much more powerful Ray force-wise uh, but she's still not going to be overly confident in her skill set. You, know, you could probably tie that back to the whole lineage thing. Who are my parents? Were they really drunks? Okay, at least now if I see it for myself, learn it for myself, I can move on. Uh, but also, according to JJ, yes, we're going to see Ray doing some crazy Force stuff. Um, minor spoilers maybe, but just speculating here. If you watched Mando Episode 2 and you saw what Yoda Baby was trying to do to Mando when Mando was hurt, I have a feeling we that was kind of put in place to lay the groundwork for what the Force can do that we haven't seen before in terms of healing. So keep that in your back pocket. I, there's a good good chance we may see force healing used in uh, the rise of skywalker by ray and they are setting that up in mandalorian at least that's my take uh but according to jj ray's not just going to be a a force trick pony uh she's going to have to rely on her scavenging days her jakku days so i'm not sure if that means uh, negotiation skills scavenging skills rummaging skills uh, but according to JJ, Ray's not just going to be this this force wielder. She's going to have to rely on some of her her pre force ability skills as well. Daisy, uh, Daisy, Daisy also let us know that it's an emotionally heavy journey for Ray, probably because of uh, I mean, who knows? We saw the C three PO scene. Maybe she's talking about that. Obviously, she's still conflicted about who she really is and what how she fits in. Uh, she's going to have some interactions with Kylo. Those will be emotional. Uh, obviously, we know what's going to happen to General Leia. So, I mean, it, it sounded like it was rough on Daisy, and some days it was it's tough to get up and kind of get into that emotionally heavy mindset for Rey. Uh, but that just means we're, we're probably going to get a good narrative, and that's really all that matters. Uh, you know, we also got some stuff from Adam Driver. He mentioned, I thought this was interesting, that by by Kylo killing Snoke, it became a birth moment from the character of Kylo Ren. Uh, he finally feels like his own person. He no longer feels like he has to live up to the standards of his pseudo-fathers, Han Solo, Uncle Luke, Snoke. Uh, but I think this is still going to be a dangerous thing for Kylo. I mean, he, it sounds like he's going to be emboldened in Tross, which is probably just going to get in trouble because he still is a mental disaster. I mean, this guy is constantly feeling the pull between the light and the dark, more so than any of his predecessors, any of his family members. 
Uh, I mean, Anakin, you can argue he felt less of a pull between the two. Uh, he, he joined the dark side out of convenience. Uh, he thought it was going to help him achieve something that was going to benefit him directly, where Kylo, maybe we'll learn more in the Kylo comic series coming up here in December, but Ben essentially wanted to be bad. He was like, you know what, fuck this. My parents don't like me. My uncle tried to kill me. Fuck everybody. You know, Snoke was already trying to work him over, and who knows, maybe Palpatine was doing some shit too. So I think the fact that Kylo's going to, he feels at least that he's his own man now, it's going to be dangerous for the galaxy, but also for himself. Uh, it, it may come back and bite him in his ass if he goes too far to one side. Someone may have to course correct him and bring him back to reality. And maybe it could ultimately lead to a redemption moment. All right, last thing from this EW article that was interesting. Uh, we got some insights into 3PO's adventure in the film from Anthony himself. And while he's kind of bitching that 3PO's been underused, as like, wow, oh no, you got to be in another Star Wars movie. And really, in the end, this new trilogy was about the new characters. The old guard was included to help pass the torch. But the main story and the beats were always going to go to Ray, Poe, Finn, Kylo. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. That's what Disney said. You either like it or you hate it. And clearly, we have a division at this point. But anyways, 3PO, according to Daniels, we will see him used in ways that we've never seen before. And it's going to come off as very refreshing and new. And we've seen it tease. I mean, we've seen the red eyes, so what could that mean? If you've read the leaks, you have a very good idea. And again, if you've read the leaks, you know that Anthony's not screwing around. We are going to see 3PO used in ways that uh, we've never seen him used before. I mean, he's not going to be the cowardly statistician, if you will, or the odds maker. He's going to play a, a key role in some uh, plot moments that are going to change the direction of the narrative. So that's exciting. And what's even more exciting and, and interesting, if you will, is that Daisy mentioned that Ray and 3PO may spend more time together on screen in this movie than she spends with any other character. So, I mean, think about that. What could these two be up to? Is, is he helping her on her, this secret mission I'm speculating on? Uh, but it sounds like we're going to get a lot of Goldenrod, which I'm sure will please fans of his, Anthony himself, and fans of the Age of Republic films, if you will. Yes, we are proper here. We use the new terms for the trilogies. Okay. All right, so we're sticking with Rise of Skywalker. We got a new 30-second spot this week. I was quick to jump on it, got it out there, and discussed uh, eight new moments from the trailer. So... If you didn't catch the video, remember, you can always not wait around to hear my insights on all new things Star Wars on the podcast. You should subscribe to our YouTube channel, so youtube.com slash Show, or just go to starwarstime.net, and we got the links there for you to subscribe. But uh, I put out a video breaking down, speculating on these eight new moments, and really the key ones here come early on in the trailer, not that it's a long trail, it's only 30 seconds, but we, we get some shots of Daisy again in this very stark white looking room. Uh, we get a clear shot. This room houses the melted Vader shrine that we saw her and uh, Kylo smashing in the last full trailer. So at this point, I'm speculating at, at, at a point in time in the story, Rey gets herself onto Kylo's Star Destroyer. Yes, She's on there for a reason, probably looking for a device. 
maybe even looking for a companion. Again, if you've read the leaks, you kind of have some insights into what she could be looking for. Uh, but just from a pure speculation stance, I mean, she's on this Star Destroyer in Kylo. I'm going with Meditation Chamber at this point. She's there for a reason. She's not captured, you can tell. I mean, she's not uh, held against her will. So she's looking for something. And I'm guessing it's it's definitely a, a device they may need, the good guys may need to get an upper hand on the bad guys. Uh, and, of course, she could also be looking for somebody. Uh, later on in this spot, we also get a shot of Kylo in here. And so this is clearly... A, a follow-up, probably the precursor to the moment we saw in the full trailer where the two of them are fighting in this room and they end up smashing the Vader Shrine. Uh, some other new stuff we got in this TV spot. We got our first great look at the First Order Tread Speeder. I wish this is where I needed Jared because he's a super fan of the Tread Speeder. He may have even popped a little chubby when we were talking about it. Uh, but it, it looks kind of cool. I mean, I, I'm thinking this scene's probably going to take place on Pisana. It's uh, probably in conjunction with the moments we've seen of the good guys racing by on a skiff. You have BB-8 shooting that smoke can up in the air. C-3PO hanging on. Finn going, Yahoo! That one. So they're probably being pursued by these homies on the tread speeder. And if you look on the tread speeder, you got a standard First Order Trooper. But behind them, you've got one of the new First Order Jet Troopers. So you'll probably see in those bad boys launching off of the backs of these tread speeders in the movie. And uh, just to kind of recount some of the conversation Jared and I had about this, he was pulling for putting the feelers out there, or speaking to the force, if you will, about the tread speeder. He wants a 112 scale tread speeder set. And I was like, yeah. That's right, because I, I still don't believe we got a 112 scale vehicle from TLJ. Uh, we did in TFA. We got two, actually. Uh, we did for Solo. I don't know if we did for... No, I don't think we did for Rogue One. So he's hoping we get a 112 scale version of the Treadspeeder, and I agreed with him. It'd be pretty badass, especially if it actually had a real rubber tread. It uh, came with the maybe the, at least the first order Treadspeeder driver, so... You never know. Maybe they'll hook it up. But we put it out there, so it should happen. All right. Moving on. Next new shot we get in this trailer spot. If you're following along, I'll have some of these uh, posts linked in the cast shell post. Uh, I'm kind of rushing here because I've had to re-record this whole cast and still prep it and get it ready to go live. So who knows what visuals I'll have in the video version. But... Moving along at like the, well, let's say, if you're watching my breakdown video of this trailer, at the 115 mark, we get a shot of Rey uh, clearly staring down a Kylo Ren, and I'm going with her on Kajimi because it's snowing, and, and Kajimi's been established as a snowy planet. I'm still not sure if it's that big ice floating structure ball thing we saw in the last trailer, but this is our first clear shot of Kajimi. Uh, at least in a, a dueling sense between the two heroes. And then as the trailer closes, I think it just it comes back and continues on with Ray's adventure on Kylo's Star Destroyer. Uh, you can see Kylo using the Force to hold himself back, which implies the airlock has been opened in this hangar. And sure enough, we see Ray there at the edge of it, looking out, and what rolls up but the Millennium Falcon, and then she jumps out in the space, Leia-style, and probably gets saved. So, again, Rey gets herself on a Star Destroyer, infiltrates Kylo's meditation chamber for something, probably a device, maybe even a character, 
And then her buddies in the Falcon show up right at the nick of time. She jumps out and gets away, probably pissing off Kylo even more than he's already pissed. So that's uh, kind of my breakdown of the new moments from that trailer. You can check out the full video on our YouTube channel, like I said. All right, moving right along. How we doing? You guys still with me? You still enjoying this solo cast? Hopefully. Because honestly, it's not the first thing I wanted to do on this Thursday morning to talk to myself for 43 minutes. But hey, Jared's tech took a fuck and this is where we're at. So uh, let's move on to The Mandalorian. We're going to get into our uh, kind of top moments from <clears throat> S1E2, which was titled The Child. Now, clearly, if you are a, a Star Wars Time fan and you follow us on YouTube, you've probably already watched my Easter egg video and my recap and review, so I'm not really going to go into an in-depth breakdown of every moment from the episode or the Easter eggs. I mean, Jared and I did it because... Uh, Obviously, he hadn't seen him before, so it was fun to talk to him about, but the episode, I mean, it had six eggs. We had the Trandoshans, a sand crawler, the Jawa shock attack on Mando. That was pretty funny. The ho yeah, Jawa slang and R5 units, uh, Mando referring to disintegrating people as kind of a nod to why Vader says it to Boba Fett, and then obviously Yoda baby's force move mirroring Yoda's force moves and Empire lift and the X-Wing so on and so forth. So I'm not really going to get into that stuff because I've already given my insights and the Easter eggs. You can check those out if you missed them on YouTube, youtube.com slash Star Wars Time Show. Uh, so I'm just going to move into my top moments and then some speculation based on what we saw in this episode, which which was great. I mean, I guess I'll start out with, with something that disappointed me about the episode, and that's the fact that it was only 26 minutes long. And yeah, it said 30 or 32, but if you uh, subtract the recap, the, the credits, the end credits, all that stuff, it, it might have been 25, 26 minutes. I mean, they were 25 glorious minutes of Mandalorian footage, but I don't know. I, I think we're, we are all just condition to think streaming series should should be 50 minutes plus so it's been odd to get these shorter episodes but in the end we're probably going to end up with a a four hour six hour type of mandalorian movie if you will so i'm not complaining uh the episode was great uh, I, i'd say my first top moment came when little baby yoda i mean come on yoda baby is just everything right now he has become one of my favorite characters, and he's easily the, the most adorable Star Wars character ever to be introduced. I mean, it's, it's not even close. I mean, he's more adorable than Baby Luke and Leia. I mean, those two are ugly compared to Yoda Baby. So, obviously, he's going to get a lot of top moments, and, and I'm going to speculate on him a little bit, which... I'm going to say, I mean, I've been seeing this week in particular from some of the bigger sites, bigger Star Wars uh, personalities on YouTube, they're finally getting around to doing speculations on Yoda Baby and his potential being a clone of actual Yoda because of Dr. Pershing's Kamino ties. And I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit here, people, but last week, I mean, literally seven days ago, eight, if you consider my Dr. Pershing Kamino vid, I was already putting this stuff, these theories out there about Yoda... Yoda Baby potentially being a legit clone of Yoda, and other theories that I'm going to talk about after uh, kind of discussing my top moments of this episode. So, I guess the the moral of the story is here is support us smaller YouTube channels. I mean, I, I like guys like Star Wars Theory. I mean, great content, but I mean, he's just now putting out his talks on 
how Yoda Baby could be a clone of Yoda. When your boy right here, I mean, come on. I had it out last Thursday. So there's your PSA on supporting smaller YouTube channels. And while I'm at it, go ahead and support our buddy Sir Dork 730 even though he can't record his audio stems because his YouTube channel doesn't quite have a massive following either, and he puts out some great content. So check him out. Anyways, back to the child episode of The Mandalorian. First top moment to me again, Baby Yoda taking it upon his cute-ass self to get out of his little egg crib and try to heal the Mando with the Force. So this was a moment I was talking about when I was discussing that we're going to see some pretty insane Force powers in Tross. And I do think this scene was to set the, the groundwork for that, that Force users do have this healing ability. But how fucking cute was it to see Yoda Baby get out and make those little coos like, He's kind of got like the, the gizmo language at this point. Holding his hand out and, and trying to use the force to heal it. And, and things just got even cuter when the Mando, this big tough guy, has to pick up this little potato sack and put him back in his egg. And then he gets back out to try and help again. I, I just, I mean, come on. The level of charm in that moment is just enough to make you feel like this world isn't a disaster and never-ending dumpster fire so we love you yoda baby next top moment of mine i i absolutely love the whole jawa sequence starting from the moment when he realized they were looting his razor crest all the way to where they make the deal with the egg you know suga su i just i just thought the jawas were fantastically portrayed i've got a newfound respect for them uh they're so damn funny i mean it just it feels like Whoever wrote this episode really wanted the Jawas to kind of come off as the Star Wars version of Minions from Despicable Me, which I uh, love the series, love the franchise, love the Minions. But the Jawas were just excellent. I mean, from chanting, Suga, 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 when they were going to look for the egg, to when they got the egg and they were going nuts, to when they were talking shit on Mando. Uh, so the Jawas were just great. But it, it all started with the Mando blasting them. I mean, we, we finally got to see what a disintegration in Star Wars looked like. I guess we got our first look when he, when he zapped that transdotion, but... It was awesome just watching him light these Jawas up like boom, boom, pot shots. They're disappearing like ho, and then just on to the chase when he's climbing up the sand crawler. He evoked imagery of OG, you know, 1966 Batman. They're throwing like junk at him, hitting him in the head, and then when he gets to the top, they all do their R2 shock stance, and they're like shoot and blast him, and he falls off. So. Uh, the Jawas were just fantastic in this episode. And like I said, definitely bigger fans of them now. They, they have uh, way more personality than I ever imagined. So uh, good jobs on the Jawas. Next moment, hey, guess what? It's another Yoda baby moment. And this comes in the form of him chasing down that frog and eating it. Uh, I mean, it was framed around another great exchange between one of my new heroes, Kawil and the Mando. Uh, but just watching Yoda Baby in the background casually chasing this frog. He catches it, and then he shoves it down his throat. I mean, the frog was literally longer than Yoda Baby. So it's not going to be hard to include Yoda Baby in every top moment breakdown from here on out for The Mandalorian for its remaining, what, six episodes now. So up next, back to the Jawas. So I, there's a theme going here with my top moment. But I, I love the barter session between the Jawas Mando, Kawil, and I guess even Yoda Baby was involved, but the the Jawas were just fantastic. 
uh, I mean, talking shit to Mando. They're like, oh, his his Jawa sounds like crap. He sounds like a Wookiee. I mean, that was just a, an epic line. And Mando's reaction was even more epic because he's like, oh, yeah, you understand this? And it just throws his flamethrower arm at him. Uh, so it was just a, a great exchange. It, it just shows you how Jawas work. I mean, they'll literally steal from you and then try to sell your own stuff back to you the same day. So uh, I love that whole bartering session and then their obsession with the egg and then the payoff. So that is just fantastic stuff. And then uh, up next, obviously, Yoda's big force move. I mean, I loved how visually it, it harkened back to actual Yoda doing the same thing, but on a different scale with Luke's X-Wing. Uh, but it just goes to show you the why this, this baby's coveted in the galaxy, why he's so important, and why he may be wanted by a Comino doctor, right? Cloning, genes, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, so it was an awesome moment visually. I mean, he saved the Mandalorian's life. Uh, it, it was pretty impactful. I mean, it already shows how these two care for each other. I mean, Mando, he's still pretty rough about his care, uh, but just think about Yoda, baby. All the moments he had in this episode with Mando, just, just to show his affection for Mando. I mean, starting with the healing scene. Then Mando walking through his destroyed ship. I mean, you can tell he's distraught. And then the little Yoda baby just kind of peeks in. He's like, hey, buddy, you all right, man? Don't worry. Life is good because I am here. And obviously he saves him with the force move. And then at the very end of the episode... Mando turns to look on him because Yoda Baby still passed out from force exertion. But lo and behold, after he, he touches him, little Yoda Baby pops up and just kind of looks at Mando like, I've got your back, homie. I did that. I saved you. So love Yoda Baby. And then the last top moment here had to be the goodbye to Kuil. I mean, I, I just want to go on record again and say I, I absolutely love the character of Kuil. Nick Nolte knocked it out of the park in terms of the vocal performance. Uh, I, I love the practical effects, uh, animatronic head that, that was used, and I don't even care if the lips didn't always match up to the dialogue. The, the character of Quill is just, he, he made such a strong impact already on Star Wars Nation and in the, in the Mandalorian that, I mean, he's hard to discount now. I mean, he is up there as a hardcore super duper awesome side star wars character you know not like a lead lead star wars character but a, a, a side one and and i love him i mean he he's got a catchphrase now that's been immortalized and i have spoken uh, just the way he dealt with the mandalorian and, and kind of checked the mandalorian if you will i mean the mando's an imposing presence and force but Kuil just being this little Ugnaught was like, hey, whatever. I mean, he, he kind of put the Mando in his place. I mean, he made such a strong impression on Mando that Mando wanted him to join his crew. So uh, I just, I, I loved their goodbye. It was very heartfelt, very genuine. And it just showcased how awesome this character of Kuil the Ugnaught is. So hopefully we haven't seen the last of him. I don't know if we'll see him again in this uh, season because I think he kind of served his purpose in getting the Mando help and ultimately getting the Mando back off his planet. Uh, but if we see him again, it might be in season two, and I hope we do because he's just a fantastic character. Whew, man, this is taxing on the voice, on the body, but we're still going. 
Matt doing the solo cast. Yes, I'm even talking in the third person now. If you smell what I'm cooking, yes, channeling the rock. Holy hell, almost going an hour by myself. I deserve a medal. So, moving on with The Mandalorian, in particular Yoda Baby. I just wanted to get it out there on the podcast. Some of my theories that I dropped at this point seven days ago on YouTube. So, shame on you for not checking it out yet, but... Uh, immediately after our cast last week talking about the Mando, I was like, you know, I, I've got three fairly strong theories about Yoda Baby. And, and they do tie back to Dr. Pershing from episode one. He's this guy that we've established is a Camino doctor, probably a scientist. So, I mean, that sheds a ton of light on why someone like him or a faction or an organization that's backing him would want a, a Yoda for all intents and purposes. I mean, they are super force users and it's already been proven yoda baby has the force and he probably has a very strong connection to it so uh, that leads me to believe if you have the camino connection a hardcore force species there there's probably some sort of cloning slash genetic testing that needs to be performed or has already been performed so here are the three theories First one, starting with a lot of what uh, some of the bigger Star Wars personalities are running with this week, and that is Yoda Baby is a legit one-to-one clone of Grandmaster Yoda. And you may ask, well, how the hell did that happen? Well, yes, it's 50 years old, but we do know that cloning technology can advance aging. So uh, if they did get Yoda genes, say from the fight with Palpatine at the end of Revenge of the Sith, you know, he did drop his robe. He did scratch in the Senate room, so, I mean, there's genetic material there. Even if there isn't genetic age manipulation, I mean, think how long Palpatine, Sheave Boy, was in the Senate, just serving as a senator of Naboo. I mean, at, at any point in time, he could have interacted with the Jedi Council, Yoda himself, and grabbed some DNA samples, so... Palpatine could have 100% cloned Grandmaster Yoda. And why wouldn't he want to? I mean, just think if he could have a Yoda-level force-powered user as his apprentice. Uh, so, Or maybe he just cloned Yoda to do other tests on this clone of Yoda to benefit himself. So that kind of leads me into my other two theories. So the second theory is that this... Yoda baby is in fact not Yoda. It is the last of Yoda's species though. So it makes sense that a guy from Kamino and possibly the beginnings of the First Order or maybe some Imperial remnant or maybe even agents of the Emperor because at this point we know the Emperor is still around. He has lived all the way to Rise of Skywalker. So you know maybe they're like hey we know this thing's out there. We found it. We need it because we want to do genetic tests on it. Uh, not so much cloning a bunch of little Yoda babies, but figuring out a way to extract its force genes and pump them into non-predisposed force users. Uh, actually, we got a comment on this theory, and it just said Project Luminous, and I went and looked it up, and apparently this is going to be a book series, and I believe it's going to be canon, but it, it sounds like Project Luminous is a project put in place that is meant to imbue the force onto um, people, whatever, aliens, humanoids, that aren't predisposed to have the force. So essentially, someone like me, I'm not a Skywalker, I'm not a Ray, I don't have the force, I'm not a Yoda, uh, so the Empire, the First Order, whoever, figured out a way to extract these abilities 
and inject them into me and kind of give me some force power, force ability. So think about the Sith Troopers we know are coming in The Rise of Skywalker. Could these be created from these little baby Yoda species genes? So, I mean, that's a theory, too. Just just using this little baby to do horrible experiments on Dr. Mangala style to figure out ways to create superpowered soldiers for the return of the Empire, the First Order, so on and so forth. And then my last theory is, you know, maybe they wanted this thing again. It could just be a legit Yoda species baby, or even if it was a clone of Yoda. They want it to be a battery of sorts for Palpatine's return, to sustain his life. Uh, think about the Dark Crystals and how the Skeksis would physically drain the essence out of the Gelflings to make themselves immortal. I'm proposing the same concept here to where, uh, thanks to Camino gene technology, they figured out a way that they could siphon life force out of this Yoda baby due to its penchants for being loaded with uh, midichlorians. Yes, we have to go there. Uh, that could sustain the injuries in Palpatine's life all the way late into his, what, 130s by the time we see him again in The Rise of Skywalker. So I just wanted to touch on that in the podcast just in case some of you don't catch our YouTube coverage. But I, I got those theories out there last week. A lot of other sites are jumping on them now. So I just wanted to kind of puff my chest out and be like, yeah, hey, us little guys, sometimes we can pull some shit out of our ass that may warrant a little more attention than these videos get, but there's just there's no way that we have a dude from Camino and this Yoda baby that it doesn't imply some sort of cloning or gene experimentation. All right, rounding on home. That's right, my friends. We have made it to the segment that most of you are probably tuning in for, and that is the top five Instagram Star Wars artist fan art features of the week. I'm not sure that's the right way to say that but who gives a shit i'm starting to get loopy i've been talking by myself to a mic for almost an hour at this point in time so let's get into the picks again these these top this top five was chosen by sir dork 730 himself jared how you doing buddy jared hey jared wake up jared jared it's your segment oh, oh that's right we lost audio so i will go ahead and and honor his segment, honor his picks, and discuss his choices. So let's get right into it. We're going to start with Jared's first pick, and it is a shot from at TXCarlo on Instagram, and it is a beauty, a beauty. Uh, when Jared and I were initially breaking down the shot, talking about our love for it, uh, we were wondering if TexCarlo uses a mix of practical and digital effects so if you're listening, TX Carlo, let us know. We we really are interested because your the shots you produce are they're they're beautiful and they're so dynamic looking in terms of the environment and, and the backgrounds are always uh, provide standout visuals in TX Carlo's work. Uh, this one in particular, you got some Death Troopers and they're outside. It looks like a a hovel of sorts and they've just blown the shit out of it. I mean, it looks like there's fire embers and fire just coming right out of the doorway and the, and the lighting's perfect so what tx carlo achieves with his atmosphere is something special and if you go check out his account pretty much every shot has this this very detailed background setup that really makes the figures pop off of it 
so uh, great use of potentially practical uh, effects and digital to create these super dynamic looking shots from TX Carlos. So definitely check them out. Uh, the shot in particular is a shot of three death troopers standing outside a hovel that uh, it just, I mean, it looks like they just had a little skirmish in a, in a Star Wars type of city. Uh, you could even argue this is Jedha itself after it just got blown out during that uh, sneak attack we saw in Rogue One. So excellent work here. Fantastic atmosphere. Setup game is on point. This is at TX Carlo on Instagram. Up next, we got a fantastic landscape shot from Mr. Stormtrooper on Instagram. Sorry, I'm telling you, I'm starting to stumble over my tongue because I've been talking to myself for too long. So bear with me, people. I'm limping myself across the finish line of this marathon solo cast. Woo, deep breath. So this comes from at Mr. Stormtrooper Davis. There you go. There you go, Matt. That's how you use your mouth. But anyways, the shot Jared picked here is a just a majestic-looking shot. It's of a First Order Stormtrooper uh, who's in this desert type of atmosphere. You've got some digital effects that bring in some Star Destroyers, and it looks like you got an at-at. Uh but it's just it's so beautiful looking because of the the scale of the landscape and if you're looking at this and you're going hey that looks familiar well it is familiar cuz this is Wadi Rum the same location in Jordan that they literally shot parts of the Rise of Skywalker in so Mr. Stormtrooper Davis took his ass there for some reason I don't know if it was for work or just a pleasure trip and did a bunch of photography with Star Wars, and, and the results are absolutely fantastic. I can't say the word majestic enough, because that's what this looks like. I mean, <clears throat> seeing this trooper just staring out, and you've got this huge mountainous type of plateau-looking thing. Uh, just the environment and the scale of the environment, it's, it's breathtaking, to say the least. And if you check out uh, Mr. Stormtrooper Davis's account. You can see some other shots he took while on location at Wadi Rum. Highly suggest doing so because you got just some brilliant looking uh, organic <clears throat> backgrounds for his photography, his Star Wars toy photography. And they just produce some amazing shots. So fantastic work. I believe his name's Alex. Uh, we're jealous. Jared was super jealous that you were actually on location. He, he didn't know that you were actually there and that this was used for the Rise of Skywalker. So that just made his boner get even bigger when he heard that. So kudos. Welcome to the top five. Not sure if this is your first time, but everyone go follow at Mr. Stormtrooper Davis on Instagram. Ho-ho! Up next, what do we got? We have some goat on goat action. That's right. Sir Dork picked a shot, a recent shot from Everything Kylo. It's a badass shot. It's a shot of a First Order Jet Trooper taken off and of course it's coming from the dirt blower himself the master of dirt blowing i mean jared and i we ran on a whole little theme of how good jesse is at blowing dirt and that skill of his and, and how he can get these particle effects to just be absolutely perfect looking and he did so in this shot i mean it literally looks like the jet troopers taken off and his exhaust is kicking up all the dust and debris behind him and, you know, Jared wanted to make a point that it's impressive that Jesse always manages to find the perfect time of day to capture the perfect light source 
for these types of shots. And I agreed because if, if you try to do these shots where you kick up dust using either an air gun, a drain cleaner, canned air, uh, you really need the uh, a lot of things to go right for you, in particular the lighting. Uh, if it's natural light, the sun's got to be at the right position in the sky. It's got to be the right temperature of light. Uh, it's got to typically be behind or to the side of the figure so it can accentuate the particles and give you that great looking bokeh. And Jesse just nails that every freaking time. He is the master blower of dirt. The guy can blow dirt better than anyone I've ever seen. And when I say blow dirt, I'm being dead serious. The dude physically blows dirt. Check out some of his BTS. I mean, dude will get a pencil in mouth, not a pencil, a straw in mouth, get down and dirty and start huffing and puffing, going, give me those particles, particle time, I'm Master Dirt Blower Jesse, I am the goat, so fantastic shot, as always, I mean, Jesse likes Sir Dork Jared, Black Series, work more or less, I mean, there's a lot of accounts out there where, I mean, I, I could share one of their shots, Jason B. Michael, Every week, and then it just depends if my buddy Nick is going to pick them. But because Nick has a hard on for troopers, that's typically where he goes. But that's kind of where Jared went too. So we speak your name, Jesse. I wish we could have had the actual conversation that Jared and I had last night. But hey, his audio got nuked. So here we are. Make sure everyone to follow everything. I'm sorry, not every, it's everything. Ever, E V E R. T-H-I-N-G-K-Y-L-O on Instagram because he's a goat. Up next, Jared's next selection was a beauty from Nose Rain. This is another one I wish we could have recaptured what Jared and I were saying initially because uh, I feel like if I try to do it so now, it would do it an injustice. But what Richie did here, that's Nose Rain with this shot, which is essentially portraying if the Mandalorian were a show in the Star Wars universe and its main characters were at a Comic-Con signing posters for fans, that's what he created, but it was in-universe. So you have the Mando, IG-11, and Cara Dune sitting behind a signing table, physically signing printed-out small-scale posters of the Mandalorian, and then you have like little Jawas, supposed to be the fans, and one even has a freaking Mandalorian helmet on it like he's cosplaying. Just sitting there so happy to be getting signatures from the stars of the show. I mean, the the imagination that, that Nose Rain has is just, it, it is beyond me. I mean, I, my brain can't even comprehend how he sat down and planned out and dreamed up this shot. And then the fact that he executed it at such a high level just makes it even more magical. I mean, Homeboy printed out posters for The Mandalorian. He printed out promotional posters for the characters to sign. It's absolutely brilliant creativity on display. And, I mean, you don't really get much better than what Nose Rain's putting out right now in terms of his staging, his ideas, and then his execution. Uh, I mean, he's up there with a, a plastic action, if not on the same level or starting to pull away. I'm not trying to compare the guys because I love them both. But the, the the scenes this guy cooks up, they're just on a whole nother level. Uh, it's something someone like me who's fairly basic toy photographer, it, it never would never would cross my mind to do a shot like this. So kudos, Richie. Your creativity always continues to astonish. Keep at it. 
we've loved watching you grow and you're just going to get bigger and bigger and hopefully someone pays you for this. In fact, John Favreau and David Filoni should pay you for this shot. Not kidding. You deserve money. All right, the last pick of the top five that was chosen by Sir Dork himself comes from a, I believe this could be a new feature maybe, but it's Last Train to Lothal. And this is an account, my friends, that severely needs help in terms of getting followers because he or she deserves way more than they get because they put out some fantastic looking art. And the shot here that Jared chose is no different. It's a shot of IG-11, a close-up, kind of a night shot. The lighting's spot on. You get a great uh, digital effect with IG's light shining. It's like he's looking for something. But Last Train to Lothal's style is just, it, it, it's perfect. I mean, it's so perfect when he came on the scene or she, I was like, is this an account that's just stealing work from other artists and posting it? Because the first few shots are so well done, and you don't usually see that in the toy photography game. I mean, if you go back and look at my initial shots or, or some of Sir Dork's, I mean, they're, they're a mess. I mean, even the, the big names out there, Nose Rain, Plastic Action, I think they'd even show you their, their initial shots. You're like, okay, those guys started at that? So that's why when I've seen Last Train to Lothal's first attempts, I was like, eh, it's a little suspicious. But I'm going with its real account, and it's an account we all need to follow because the art this account creates is is money. I mean, there's only 20 posts, and each one is fantastic in their own rights. And this one's no different. I mean, just I love the the uh, kind of the post processing, the color work that was done on this. Uh, Jared and I had a pretty moronic discussion on the concept of soft proofing and how it makes images look unsharp. And he's like, "Yeah, you know, you're right. It kind of makes them look soft." And we we're like, "We're dumb as hell." I mean, we started the conversation with, "Hey, soft proofing. Not sure if that's the term. It makes images look less sharp." And he's like, "Yeah, it's almost like they're soft looking." And we're like, "Yeah, we're we're idiots. We are stupid toy photography amateurs." And yeah, yeah. I mean, Jared, huge following, puts out some awesome photography. But in terms of Photography as a science in the the digital uh, manipulation aspect, we're we're pretty stupid. So make sure to check out at Last Train to Lothal. Great handle, by the way. Nod to Star Wars Rebels because his work's fantastic, and this IG Eleven shot is just a prime example. Just great posing, great framing, and then obviously the post processing really makes it pop. So. Woo! I made it, buddies. That's basically doing two versions of this same cast, back-to-back, one at night, one first thing in the morning. I believe, holy hell, I've gone an hour and 13 minutes just by myself. I'm going to give myself a hand. I know that's kind of a douchey move, but sometimes I'm a douche, and I'm beat up, man. That that was rough. I'm not going to lie. After talking nearly two hours last night with Jared, finding out that his audio took a shit, that was kind of a bummer. And then getting up and having to essentially rehash all the same shit I just talked about, that was rough. But I made it. I'm here. I dragged myself across the finish line. So now it's time for you to help me out. Get your happy asses over to StarWarsTime.net and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so, as well as the YouTube channel if you haven't already done so. You can do it very easily. There's a link right there in the top section on desktop or in the hamburger menu. If you're on mobile, it says subscribe to the podcast. The YouTube stuff can also be found in the um, sidebar. I I can't stress enough how important it is to get subscribers. And then once you're subscribed to 
on every bit of content we put out, be it the videos on YouTube, the casts on iTunes or Spotify. It's, it's so important for us to like, rate, review, or leave a comment. That stuff goes a long way, not only just to let us know people are engaging with our material. I mean, it's nice to know people are checking this stuff out because sometimes I put out a lot of content and it goes nowhere and I feel like a loser and I'm like, I must suck. But I don't think I suck. I think I do good stuff. You people have told me we've done good stuff. But we need the machines to know that. So the way the machines know that, the search engines of the world, the podcast engines of the world, are based on ratings, reviews, the amount of likes and subscribers. So that's why I do this dance at the end of every podcast. It's not to be a greedy asshole. It's just to ask you guys to help us out and you gals. Uh, we're not a podcast that's going to sit there with our hands out asking for Patreon donations to create content. I love Star Wars so damn much, I create the content just because it's a passion of mine. And I just want the rest of you to join in and share in this passion. So we're not asking for handouts. I mean, we're, we're still a smaller podcast, so I think it's kind of weird for small podcasts to ask for that type of shit. But I am asking for your votes of confidence on social media platforms, on the podcast platforms with like, like, like ratings and reviews, okay? Sorry to go into detail, just wanted to kind of explain that there so you guys aren't rolling your eyes every time I do this dance. Uh, but it does mean a lot to us, and I've been loving all the increased interactions on Instagram. Keep sending those DMs. Let's talk about Star Wars. That's what we do. There's always time for Star Wars time, right? There's always time for Star Wars time. There's always time for Star Wars time. Yeah, I'm not a singer. All right, my friends, remember... If you listen to the Star Wars Time Show podcast, even with just one host, the Force will be with you always. Yeah.